What's up, NBA fans? Uh, happy Friday here. We just witnessed the end of the Toronto Raptors versus Boston Celtics Game 7. And our original plan was to have this podcast episode be a preview of the conference finals. However, the Denver Nuggets proved that there is still life in that team and come away with a win here to push that series to 3-2. And the Lakers look to close their series against the Houston Rockets tomorrow, which signs point that they should, I think, handedly close it. But anyways, here we are. We potentially won't have a true conference at finals episode until next week when the Clippers can close off this hungry Denver Nuggets team and the Lakers finish off the Houston Rockets, what I presume will be uh, tomorrow on Saturday. But game seven was exciting between the Raptors and the Celtics. But before we dive into that, Sean, you are the you are the podcast host who is all in on the Clippers this year. How do you feel about this come come from behind Denver win here? Oh, man, Alan. I, I texted you a little bit before this, obviously, but this is embarrassing, honestly. It's very disheartening to watch them be up three and a half quarters in a dominant fashion where it's like it didn't seem like Denver had much life left. They, score, they only score 44 points in the first half, and they cut into your lead a little bit in the third quarter, but you still have a pretty good margin, and they just let it all go to crap. They just completely checked out of the game mentally and Denver with nothing to lose got themselves back in this series. And that is just, I think, speaks to not the individual players experience on the Clippers, but I guess as the organization's experience with the playoffs in that these guys just they're they've never been to the conference finals in this way before. So they just couldn't close the game out it was a clipper curse type of moment where you're just like this is this is the first conference finals this team could ever make in history and you were literally like six minutes away from making it happen and you threw it all away you gave this team life it it, it was disgusting honestly i i i had no doubt in my mind that the clippers were going to win this game but they found a way to lose it, and it's going to be a lot tougher uh, moving forward. Yeah, I got one name for you, Michael Porter Jr. Oh. Big, big, Stop. A big gamble of a three that he took, but he knocked That was his it only basket down. of the game, too, wasn't it? No, he was one. I think he was one for two. Either way, he didn't take many <laughs> shots. Yeah, he was not a factor in this game. No, and then oh. he has that big block on Subaka. Uh, yeah. huge, huge plays that I think speak will speak louder than his actual contributions to the game as a whole, I think. Uh, but a huge comeback from the Denver Nuggets. I mean, I think they just got really streaky, big-time threes from Jamal Murray and Joe Kick, but they almost also threw the game away by just putting the <laughs> Clippers on the line. Like, the Clippers were struggling to make shots, but Denver was just mm-hmm. doing them favors by putting them on the line with early fouls into the shot clock from Grant uh just bad bad fouls on on these on the clippers and uh you know the clippers almost crawled their way back but <laughs> you know before we dive in deeper into that series uh and all the other uh series that have been closed out so far in these playoffs let's go first to Montres Harrell you know he he came out uh made some noise and he took away the sixth man of the year award this year officially now uh, I came down to him and his teammate, but he walked away with the prize this time. Yeah, very impressive regular season by Montrez Harrell. He he has definitely not been the same player since entering the bubble, obviously, but made a huge part to this team's success during the season, able to be one of those key components to help Kawhi get that load management that he needed throughout the season and help carry this team to a couple victories and for, for a guy like this to, to be in the position that he's in, I think is very impressive. Uh, just from the fact that he wasn't a heralded player at any point in his career. He was a throw-in in the Chris Paul deal, which, I mean, maybe the Clippers knew what they were getting from him, but I certainly did not. Like, I thought this was like a G League guy that we we're just going to stash in the Agua Caliente Clippers for the next, like, five years, but... I'm really glad I wasn't right about that because he ended up being a very key piece for us and he's continued to improve his game every year. Um, and yeah, I think it's a well-deserved one and I'm sure Lou Williams feels the same and he's probably not too bitter that he didn't get 
uh, yeah. the, the six man of the year award again. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it stories are, and I mean, there's that picture that with Montrez Harrell with actually Lou Williams's trophy. I don't know if you've seen that. He brought, yeah, in I did see that. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. he actually brought his award in since Montrez Harrell <laughs> has yet to get his from the officially from the NBA, but Lou Williams brought his in, and they had their own unofficial photo shoot uh, in the locker room or in the bubble area uh, in order to honor his teammate Montrez Harrell. But you know, Lou Williams brought his six man a year, six man of the year award trophy. Daniel House Jr. on the other hand brought something else with him <laughs> to the bubble, and has now resulted in him being removed from the bubble itself, and will no longer be a part of this Laker versus Rockets series or the playoffs in general. It sounds now. So uh, this guy sat out for games two and three while the NBA investigated, and their official results already came out with the report saying that he. Uh, has been removed for bringing in a woman who was not his wife or girlfriend and spent who spent several hours in the hotel room with him on September 8th. Wow. <laughs> what Talk a story. Bone-headed <laughs> move. What? Emphasis on bone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What what is going on here? And I mean, I almost feel like this might have something to do with just the spirit that that Houston Rockets team came out with uh this in game 4 against the Lakers where it seemed like the the Rockets just were not going to fight at all against this Laker team. And maybe it has a little bit to do with this because this for sure, would, I think, would suck the spirit out of a team. Yeah, this is incredibly disheartening. I don't care if this guy isn't a superstar player or even a star player. Like, this guy is a key role player. And you need every single scrap you can get if you're going to have any chance against this Lakers team. And it was 1-1 when this all went down. And I mean, obviously that game three, like there was no chance the Rockets wouldn't win even if they had Kevin Durant on the team. But I mean, game four had its moments where I was like, you know what? Like this is kind of close, but maybe maybe a role player here or there makes a difference. Maybe not. I'm not I'm not going to argue that Daniel House would make this a difference of a series. But I do think yeah, it's it's very morally or yeah, just takes out the morale of your team. When you have everyone focused in, they've all been in there the same amount of time. It's been, what, like two months now, almost, that they've been in this bubble? It's been, well, if you count, like, training camp and all, we're looking at over 11 weeks now. Yeah, that's insane. So, they, we've all bought in, we're, like, right at the very end, basically, and this is the type of stunt you pull. Like, you can't wait a little longer shame on you man like that is really sad and it's not even his wife he's married this is a married man and now adam silver has basically made it so that he's gonna have to figure that stuff out when he gets back to houston um yeah that that was all the buzz on twitter today is like well adam silver just uh helped his wife file for divorce yeah that's (laughs) oh man how embarrassing for the family houston rockets uh, friends of Daniel House. I mean, again, Despicable, yeah, you're right. man. I definitely don't want to see this being used as the excuse for why the Rockets, but I will say this is I think, I mean, as a team, you're committed to this, and then one of your guys does does something like that, just completely betrays, uh, betrays the team in terms of, like, getting himself kicked out of the bubble. He knew the rules yeah. coming into it. Everybody did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just to do it, break weakness, like I guess, break weakness, I'm going to say. Even that feels wrong to say. I think it just is flat out just boneheaded and I guess jackass. Like that feels like that, that yeah. word oh, totally. for moments like this. He betrayed his own family and his teammates. Sometimes we think with a different part of our body and, and clearly <laughs> this was the case here. Man, it's just so embarrassing. Like, just, just kind of the the last stab in in this chest for this Rockets team, where it's like maybe you thought he'd be able to come back and you'd have a full force, ready to go team for this game five. For as much confidence as I had that the Clippers were going to win game five, it's double that for this Lakers team against the Rockets. They don't stand a freaking chance against this team in game five. It has little to do with Daniel House, but it, it just doesn't help. <laughs> just insult to injury and yeah i mean yeah. I'll, I'll make one more comment on this just because i because <laughs> it's hilarious yeah it's hilarious and also <laughs> because i think there's this is a perfect example of what is the difference between you know like a dumb mistake and a, just a straight up jackass tile mistake <laughs> it's like a dumb mistake is like you parked your car and you didn't notice that there was a no parking sign you know between the hours of four 
5 p.m., right? It's a dumb mistake. It happens, it happens, it happens to you a lot in San Francisco, huh? Yeah, it can happen to you, right? So you end up getting your car towed, and it's like, wow, I just didn't think about looking at the time and looking at what time it is that I've parked there. You know, it's a little bit of naive there uh, on your on that person's part. But, like, what Daniel Houses did, it's like everybody knew these rules. Like, they were publicly released. Uh, you know, everybody on ESPN was talking about the rules, so I'm sure players and coaches knew, and yet he still went and broke them. And that is yeah. not a dumb mistake. That is like next level boneheaded slash jackass style mistake. And it's not like it's <laughs> the nineties. There's right. cameras everywhere. There's everything is recorded. How would you even in your, your any mind of state of being think that this was going to work, that you weren't going to get caught. This is the most secure bubble that I've ever seen created for a sports uh, like athletic association, there was just no way that he's going to get away with it. Yeah. I don't think there's any logical uh, justification for what he there did. There isn't. There really isn't. <laughs> <laughs> and that's- it's just, um, it's mind blowing, man. Like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this isn't as uncommon as, as we think it is. Maybe other team, other players have successfully infiltrated the bubble and gotten, different women in in there without anyone knowing i find it hard to believe but yeah i don't know man i I think it's funny that um like what if this was like james harden do you think that they would have a different protocol than with daniel house that's tough to say because that's what i was thinking as well it's like is he gone from the bubble as in like that's the official nba punishment as in like you're done like that's it it's over Mm -hmm. or is he just gone because it's he just broke and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to leave and we're right. down 3-1. <laughs> I'm just leaving. I'm just not going to. They I'm, weren't even no down po- 3-1 at the time, though. True, true. That's true. But I guess like they didn't they didn't finalize. They finalized their investigation. What, like pretty before? Oh, yeah. After, before game, after four. game four. Yeah. So it's like I wonder if it was like a thing of like, well, you're going to be out. You know, you'll you'll have to be punished for like, a you know, a week or something. That means you, you're out for a week. Uh, and at that point, he's probably like, well, that series is going to be over. So I'm going home instead. I don't yeah. know. That's it's that's <laughs> that part of the story. I guess we won't really find out. Maybe maybe when the book is written or something. But <laughs> the, when, yeah, the book on the bubble. <laughs> yeah. Or like Daniel House writes his own book or something. Oh, God. But would but anyone I, buy a book by Daniel House? Come on. For this. It's not that uh, interesting. For this. Snippet, maybe <laughs> it's not worth a book. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a that's that is a good thing to bring up, like whether the NBA brought this harsh of a punishment on Daniel House and whether they would do that to anybody else. Because I guess it's not the same thing as what Lou Williams did, but it's like the closest maybe that we could compare yeah. it to. Well, the, I think the difference is that Lou Williams was outside of the bubble. So he didn't bring anything into the bubble except for himself. It's like when you bring in outside people that nobody knows like what what they've been doing or where they've been, it's not documented, then they could easily bring COVID into the bubble. So yeah, I think the punishment is justified. And I should hope that if it was James Harden or even like one of the Lakers, like Anthony Davis or something, like I should hope that the punishment is the same no matter how talented the player is. I feel like Adam Silver would stick to that because like he's a kind of a man of honor, I feel like he, he would stick to his word. Yeah, I mean at this point he's got to. This is now the example, so it's like Right. Yeah, you can't yeah, you can't go back on this now. Like this is what <laughs> you have to do from now on. Yeah, not that I think any of these star flares still left would do such a thing, but I you guess never know, is man. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Yeah. So moving on from that in terms of the bubble, how about next year's NBA season? So right now the or oh, the draft date. This is the draft date. So right now we're looking at basically next season, though. Yeah. yeah, next season, a tentative draft date of November eighteenth, with the NBA season potentially starting no sooner than Christmas Day. So originally there was talks of a December first season start. It looks like that that is definitely no longer in the cards, and maybe Christmas Day would be more the more realistic timeline. Which to me, I think that sounds better. Uh, Christmas time just always seems to be a better day for the NBA. Uh, in terms of the draft, <laughs> November 18th, it'll be weird uh, to be that close to Thanksgiving and thinking about draft. It seems odd, but hey, you got to get things done at some point. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's interesting. It makes a lot of sense because there's no reason to rush it. 
and there's no good plan in place for how you'd even start the next season yet. They're still focused on figuring like obviously this works for the playoffs and for those few regular season games but this isn't work for a whole season like you can't keep everyone in there that long mm-hmm. so yeah they have, they need some more time to figure it out and figure out um salary cap space too because with with them probably losing a good amount of revenue next year uh, without fans uh, maybe you're looking at another shortened season again to maybe get back on a regular cadence or like the regular rhythm of what the schedule was. Uh, it's going to take a while to figure all that stuff out. And I, I mean, I think it was very ambitious of them to think that they'd start the next season, not even three months from now. Um, when we're not even going to finish this one until October, essentially. So uh, it makes sense to me. Um, and this is even tentative too. It's not guaranteed um, they're going to be that November 18th date. It could be pushed back even more um, as they look into other options, like maybe hosting mostly like localized games within the different arenas with limited fans to get more revenue, but also maybe limit the spread and the travel time that these teams would have um, under a normal NBA schedule. But yeah, I mean, it's something you have to start thinking about now because it's really not that far away. Yeah, it's wild to think, like, what are they going to do for, for next year NBA season? But if there's a man I can trust, I think I'm going to trust Adam Silver because so far this mm-hmm. bubble has worked um, to the point other than Daniel House, Lou Williams, <laughs> Rashawn Holmes, and a couple of others who maybe screwed up a bit. Uh, everything has worked out pretty well. Um, yeah. And in terms of the bubble, let's go ahead and break down what we've seen so far in these semifinals, starting with the Heat's. Miami Heat taking down the Milwaukee Bucks 4-1. I mean, this was essentially should have been a sweep. I mean, the Bucks put together a heroic effort to take game four. Um, but even then, I mean, it was it was quite a battle there once Giannis went down. I mean, even before he went down, it, it, it just seemed that the whole momentum was clearly going in the Miami Heat. Just a team that even before heading into the series, everybody, we all were really seriously considering the Miami Heat to potentially take this team down and two games in, it looked like that was not a a far-fetched prediction. It actually came very likely to be, and it did come to be, and it's just Jimmy Butler is playing next-level basketball. Miami (laughs) Heat as a whole just have firepower. They're leading the entire Eastern Conference in the playoffs in terms of points per game at 112. They're shooting 38% from three. Both of those stats put them in the top five in terms of the teams that entered the playoffs. Um, Gordon Drogic playing on the next next level as well. Uh, Bam Adebayo, Kelly Olenek, uh, Tyler Hero, all those boys, Duncan Robinson, like all these guys <laughs> are just, man, this is incredible the, the way this team has put it all together right at the right time. I mean, even Jake Crowder and Andre Iguodala, man, like doing their part as well. Yeah. I think this is a team that you could point to as being like, this is – one team that will perform really well in the bubble format, but if they were having to play in Milwaukee, I don't think that this would be the same story. Um, unfortunately, it is for the Bucks. They had to play on a neutral site, and this Miami Heat team with with a lot of guys that are unheralded players that are used to playing in and not so um, like grandstand stadium style arenas. They came out and they played, and they just played basketball better than the Bucks. Um, whereas if, if they had, if the heat had to win three of these in Milwaukee, that I just don't see that happening at all. So I mean that you got, you got to play with what you got. And so the heat did that to a T, uh, Milwaukee won a lot of regular season games for nothing, unfortunately, not really getting any of that home court advantage, but man, you just got to feel for Giannis because going, going down in game one, obviously it was still, that's not like they were even winning. I think at the point when he injured himself in game four, but it was like he had 19 points in 11 minutes when he checked out, which is just absurd. Like he was going to about to go for like 60 points to make sure that they won that game would have been amazing to watch. But I, I guess he even had this ankle problem going into this game. They weren't even sure that he was going to play game three and he ended up playing that one. Uh, so it just the writing was on the wall for Milwaukee uh, since game three, essentially with Giannis being hurt and got to give credit to Middleton. Like we were saying a big 36 point eight rebound eight assist game from him in game four to make it a gentleman's sweep i guess you could call it uh, rather than a, an actual sweep but 
Uh, they fought hard in game five too, man. Like yeah, that was a really close game. I, I think the Heat were only up by like four points in the last minute, um, and gave, gave the Bucks gave themselves a chance. But you know, when you don't have your best player on the floor, that's always going to be tough. And credit to the Heat for closing this out in five games. I wonder, I wonder who could take some notes on that. But <laughs> yeah, I think the Heat are a very interesting team. I don't think that they're going to be able to repeat this success next year. Um, if we are able to get back to a more normal state of things in the NBA where home court actually plays an advantage, but this is a gritty team and they're very mentally tough, obviously. And this is definitely going to go a long way to making a lot of the guys on this team, uh, accelerate their growth as an NBA player, being able to play this far into the NBA playoffs. Yeah. I think the home court point that you brought up is huge and i think there hasn't been too a lot of discussion around that but the common thread or theme that we're probably seeing in all these series so far is just how much better shooters are um you know we're seeing absurd shooting percentages upwards into the (laughs) past 50 percent from three for some teams i Mm -hmm. mean some guys like you know that utah and denver series where it was like 60 percent shooting 70 percent like that's absurd ridiculous yeah and this miami heat team is definitely riding that wave so could that have played a a part of it probably maybe i mean this milwaukee bucks team is definitely you know they've got offensive firepower but they definitely gifted themselves and leaned heavily on the defensive side of things really leaning on the length of their guys to defend all sides of the floor uh so for this miami heat team to really have that advantage of playing in a neutral location and that that seems to be benefiting shooting and that's what this team is really geared up for to just blaze it up from outside. Maybe that was like the double eight, the double sword, the, the double power that they needed uh, <laughs> to really just close out the Milwaukee bucks and potentially, yeah, maybe they won't be, they won't be as strong if we go back to home versus on the road. But on the honest part, a lot of questions here. A lot of franchise-altering questions for him moving <laughs> forward as he enters the last year of his contract. And this Milwaukee's team, this Milwaukee team is committed. They're committed to Eric Bledsoe. They're committed to Chris Middleton, uh, to Brooke Lopez. Um, there's not much wiggle room here for this team. I mean, I don't really know what you could do. I mean, you could roll the dice here. I mean, there's talks about Chris Paul. I mean, you could match up that mm. contract with Eric Bledsoe. Uh Maybe you trade, you get somebody to buy, and you turn Eric Bledsoe or Chris Middleton into a couple of other pieces. But it it seems rough, man. It, or you swap one of these guys for I don't know. Maybe you can convince to get. Maybe you can go out there and try to get like a Bradley Beal or uh, hmm. uh Kevin Love. Maybe I'm I don't know if they have the pieces to really entice the Cavs to pull that one. But it it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough to move forward with this. To in terms of like making some hard, some crazy improvements to this Bucks roster. Yeah, this year was supposed to be their easy, their not easiest, but most likely chance of winning a championship. I mean, you just had LeBron leave to the Lakers a few years ago. Kawhi leaves to the Clippers last year. The amount of stars is supposed to be narrowing in the East. So for Giannis, this was a golden opportunity for them to at least make the finals because they haven't even made the finals yet with this guy who's a two-time MVP now. So... You had this chance, and now next year you're going to have to go through KD and Kyrie along with this growing Boston team, this growing Miami Heat team. It's going to be even harder for them, especially because they're not improving. None of their guys are very young, so they're not. there's not a lot of upside there. So you're going to be rolling with the same team and just hope that Giannis can develop a three-point shot, I guess. Like, just hope that the rich get richer and Giannis just becomes just an unstoppable force of nature. I don't really see any other improvement. I mean, Brooke Lopez is ancient at this point. I don't even know how old he is. I think he's he's 32, which is not ancient. But, I mean, I, I've called younger people ancient <laughs> with, just because they've had a long career. And I just, I don't know. It's like none of the guys that are leaving, at least, are key players for them. Like Wes Matthews, Kyle Korver... Pat Connaughton, Marvin Williams, like uh, I could, you could bat an eye get that those guys, they're not that important, yeah. but I don't really know what piece they'd re- sign otherwise that would get them there. Like, like you said, the Chris Paul trade's interesting, but that's again, another aging guy. I mean, he just came off a very good year, but that doesn't necessarily mean next year is going to be exactly the same. 
it's a really tough road. I don't think the Bucks have what it takes. Yeah, and and if Giannis leaves this team, this franchise is going to be stuck in the mud with with Eric Bledsoe's contract and Chris Middleton's contract and those those are really kicking in next year in terms of like the dollar per year amount and that cap mm. space is going to be weighed down. This team has to cross its fingers that Giannis resigns and if Giannis resigns, it's it's tough, man. Like the three pieces I guess are leaving Kyle Corver, Pat Cunnington, Marvin Williams, uh, Wesley Matthews player option. Like these guys don't, they're not getting paid enough to really move the needle in terms of cap space. So they'll be over the cap next year for sure. Uh, they'll have mm-hmm. that mid-level exception to sign somebody. Not sure who they can actually get. It's a pretty weak pool. It's the trade market's really their only bet. And Eric Bledsoe again threw a dud in the playoffs this year. I got to think that that's going to hurt his value. Chris Middleton being your most mm-hmm. valuable piece, but can you actually get better value in a trade for him? That's hard to right. say. <laughs> yeah, that's not. a $17 million a year contract you're talking about that you got to trade away to somebody. And it's not not like it's expiring either. Yeah. This guy's locked in for another three years. And he's a good piece. It's really more about getting a piece in addition to him and Giannis, not swapping Chris Middleton for another same tier type player. I mean, unless you can somehow convince somebody to get you, give you somebody better than Chris Middleton, which I don't think somebody's going to let that go. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah. I mean, if the wizards are interested in just swapping for Bradley Beal, maybe that, that gets you a little bit better, but it's, I still don't think that's enough. Like I, I respect Chris Middleton's game. I don't, I don't think you're going to get anyone better than him for the contract that you'd have to trade like Chris Middleton's contract is way too big. No one's going to want to take that on to give you a better player in return, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't really see that happening. And Giannis likes Middleton. So I doubt they'll get rid of him. And I, I don't know. I feel like Giannis is loyal, but man, if they go one more year without even making like the conference finals, Oh man, that that's going to hurt really bad. And he's going to ha- get a long, hard look from Steph Curry on the other side of the ocean over there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got to think players are savvier than ever before when it comes to this stuff. And they got to be thinking about the contracts, how they're how they're lining up. I mean, lessons to be learned, yeah. right? You got a guy mm-hmm. like Carmelo who could have had an option to opt out of his contract or sign his contract to align with the 2010 free agency and sign with a contender like the Heat or with his buddies. But instead, he signed that big deal with New York and then signed again. And, you know, <laughs> the, the peak of his career kind of just went out the window Gotta think uh, yep. guys are seeing that Garnett, another type of guy who signed away the peak of his career uh, to stay with a franchise that was stuck in the mud. Uh, LeBron, I think if you follow his career trajectory, that's essentially what he's been doing is he's been leaving <laughs> teams that have gotten themselves in bad contract situations, going to teams mm-hmm. with better, better assets and better cap space to build teams around him. He did that. When he left Cavs. Even, and, even though it's his fault that Tristan Thompson got all that money. <laughs> yeah, it is. I will say that. Yes, it is. It's his fault. Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith signed huge deals with mm-hmm. the Cavs, ruined that team, uh, left to the Lakers, team full of young assets and cap space. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And yeah, eventually he'll strand them for, yeah. for another team. But yeah, this, this yeah, Giannis, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the, the Bucks have to offer him the entire state of Milwaukee at this point. Yeah. Or the entire state of Wisconsin at this point. I don't even think the city of Milwaukee is enough to keep this guy. Like they're going to have to give him like, like a state senatorship or something. That's what I was going to say. They're going to have to put him in the assembly in the, yeah, the state house, uh, representative Giannis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Th- yeah. You have to offer him the, the supermax extension this off season. Like you cannot wait. You what like right when you can do it, you do it. Yeah. So whatever it takes, we'll see what happens there with the Milwaukee Bucks. But let's go to the Celtics and Raptors. We chatted a bit already about game seven, but Celtics winning that close one, that close game seven. Mm. I I was stunned that this even went to seven games. I the Raptors really made me eat my words. I mean, I thought it was going to be over in five or six games Celtics for Celtics. But the Raptors fought back that OJ Anobi uh, buzzer beater just bred new (laughs) life into this team. And they kind of just said, you know what? Pascal Siakam is just not showing up. So we're going Kyle Lowry and we're riding with Fred mm. Van Fleet and the rest of the boys. And 
And that's what they did, and they came so close <laughs> to winning this game, holding Kemba Walker down, Jason Tatum also. But the Celtics came together and played good team basketball and pulled and, you know, really roughed this Game 7 win out. Um, but this is – I mean, Kyle Lowry, I think, with this series, in my eyes, to solidified himself as the best Raptors player – or the best player in Raptors franchise history. And Fred Van Fleet <laughs> is legitimately going to get paid this offseason as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Van Fleet was was pretty underwhelming this series for me. Uh, he man, especially I think the the real cherry on top for for that poor performance was was him trying to go for that potential game tying three pointer at the end of this game seven and getting blocked by Grant Williams. Yeah, like come on, man, Grant Williams? Are you kidding me? Like, ugh, not it's not it wasn't even Jason Tatum guarding him, but. I, yeah, you got to give your hats off to this Raptors team. They they fought like a championship team, and no one expected them to even be in the position that they were in. So I think overall the season was a win. Um, they got great development from a lot of guys. Uh, Pascal Siakam obviously being one of those that had a really good regular season. Norman Powell, OG Ananobi stepping up. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, Kyle Lowry was almost the savior of this team. Oh, man so close i was really rooting for them i didn't think that they had a chance after game five i was like there's no way the raptors get this to seven and then they 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 pulled it off in that crazy double overtime game that was probably one of the best games i'd say i mean yeah i'd say that's a top three game of this playoffs you gotta put one of those utah denver games in there and i'm sure there's another stray one i'm missing but that that game was ridiculous man just the shots back and forth you could tell both teams wanted this series so bad uh, it's really cool to see just the heart and commitment both of them showed. Um, and it, it had all the air of a playoff series. And even like that could have been like a championship series. And I, I think everyone would have been really satisfied with that. Yeah, to me, I felt like that was the Eastern Conference Finals. But then again, <laughs> I think the Miami Heat have something to say about that. And I could, oh, for and sure. they're going to fight. Sure. So Yeah, I, this I, isn't by no means a Celtics victory in yeah. the next round. Yeah, I still think Miami Heat can have something to say to the Celtics. But yeah, I mean... Jason Tatum stepping up, uh, twenty nine points in that in that uh, game seven performance. But Jalen Brown, you know, he's just quiet, quiet, and just putting together a good stretch of games as well. Stepping up in the playoffs, averaging twenty one points, nine rebounds, two steals in this series. And I mean, that's that's the advantage here for the Celtics is the length of their quick and versatile wings and Kemba Walker. Uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I mean, and Marcus Smart as well. I mean, dude, this guy. What six foot four, six foot five? But this guy can play like he's six one or he's six <laughs> ten. This guy's quick. He's yeah, strong. He's he's like a fire hydrant. I feel like that's 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 the best way to describe him. He's like a it's like a quicker, better, more skilled PJ Tucker out there for the Boston Celtics. And what a perfect era of basketball for him to come in. And he's hit some huge threes, made some big time steals for the Celtics uh, to to take away some of these wins. Um, but I think, I think I'm, I think I'm, I, I've, I've been ready to see this series close for a while. And I thought it was the Boston Celtics who were going to do it, but you know, the Raptors kept, kept, kept going and kept winning here. Uh, and in terms of like, what's next for the for the Raptors? Well, for one, they've got to figure out what the hell's going on with Pascal Siakam or what happened to him in this series. <laughs> 15 points per game, 39% shooting, oh. 9% from three and 60% 9%? from the free throw line. I mean, the versatile score that they thought they were, and versatile defender that they were getting in Pascal Siakam was nowhere here in these playoffs. So... They got to figure out what to do with this, what's going on with him. And maybe it's just a dud and just a, just a period of growth. But I mean, I think this team is set up to continue making noise in the playoffs in the Eastern conference. Uh, but if Pascal Siakam is going to keep doing things like this, then they're going to continuously just be a first round exit type team for a couple more years to come. Yeah. I think, I think for Siakam, Man, that 9% from three is just, oh my gosh, that is unreal. I didn't even realize that. But if you're Pascal, like this was really good experience for you to be like, okay, I obviously am not the guy of this team yet, but I'm going to be expected to be because I'm a lot younger than Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry's got the, got the experience, but 
I am the best player on this team. I'm going to have to step it up. I think the Celtics just matched up really well against him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had the length to guard him. Jason Tatum, the same size as him. Uh, Jalen Brown, not that much smaller. Um, they just had a lot of guys that could guard him. So, I don't know. I, I think for, for him, it, it was a good learning experience. And he's, he's going to have to practice shooting, obviously, in, in the offseason here. And I think also Marc Gasol was more of just... I want to say he's the anchor of this team, but he was weighing them down in this series. With the, I mean, he wasn't even playing that many minutes, but he only averaged six points and four rebounds. And like, this is a guy that was a, a corner piece of, of this team, a very key part of the championship that they won, but he was just nowhere to be found. He seemed lost out there. Daniel Tice was just running circles around this guy. They, he, they basically scripted him out of the game because he was just so irrelevant. I think he's just too old at this point. He's too old for this modern NBA. So who you got as free agents for the Raptors? I mean, Gasol's one of them, uh, Sergi Baca, and then you got Fred Van Fleet. I think Gasol is just done on this team. He might be a veteran minimum on another team. He might just retire. Uh, he just looks spent, honestly. And and you got you got to re-sign Ibaka and Van Fleet, in my opinion. These guys are way too pivotal to this team to let them go. And Fred Van Fleet is going to take up most of that cap space is the unfortunate part because how, how well he played, which is great. Um, that's going to put you back probably like $20 million a year. He's going to get at least Eric Bledsoe money, maybe better. You think so? Uh, with Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, th- I mean, obviously, the cap space situation is going to play a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, like If they are able to get close to a normal cap, I, I do think he'll get around $20 million. Um, but obviously, if they don't have the money, maybe he's looking at more at $10 million. Um, But they need to bring him back either way. Um, he brings them that firepower that they don't normally have without him. Yeah, or he comes to L.A. I think the Lakers need to get Fred Van Fleet on you that team. Wish. <laughs> <laughs> you wish. Uh, everyone would want Fred Van Fleet on their team. <laughs> yeah, he is a solid piece. I mean, he had some troubles in this series, but... I wouldn't mind having him as my point guard. You know, obviously, if I can get a star point guard like Kemba Walker or something, I'd take them. But, <laughs> I, you know, Fred Van Fleet is a good B-level player. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the Toronto Raptors, to me, I think if they bring back Fred Van Fleet, they got OJ Anobi, Pascal Siakam. They got a couple young pieces still on the roster. Uh, Norman Powell also hit some clutch three-corner threes for the Raptors. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I think they still got the makings of a team that they can – uh, maneuver around and and still piece together to make some noise in the playoffs next year or in the next coming years. Are they a championship roster? Nah, not really. But uh, I don't think they need to go into the into the sunset at all either. Like I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm probably pretty excited to see what moves they make. Um, but it's tough. It's tough. I'm sure they're going away. Pretty disappointed that they were so close to returning back to the Eastern Conference Finals, and at that point. Against a Miami Heat team, maybe they have the they have the defense to stop their stop their three point shooters, but they won't get a chance to 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 prove that this time around. Yeah, that's true. I did see that the Raptors do have the best three point defense in in the league right now, and so that that would have been an interesting matchup. But yeah, I, I don't think they can be too disappointed. Obviously, being that close, you're gonna be disappointed no matter what. Um, but they can come back with pretty much yeah, an identical roster. Maybe a slightly better five than Marcus Gasol at this stage of his career. I, I think if they can get a, a center that can kind of run a little bit and shoot the three, obviously that's good. That's a high demand type of player. But if they can get someone like that for cheap, uh, I think that'll help them a lot. Uh, uh, other than that, they have pretty much every other position covered really well. Like they have a lot of good wings, they have a lot of good guards. They just need a big man that can space the floor a little bit. Steven Adams. This team needs to get Steven Adams. That's not that's <laughs> not spacing the floor. I don't know. Steven Adams just seems to would I feel fit this team for some reason. Uh, I mean, he's just like an, a younger Mark Gasol is what he is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, lesser. Which yeah. I guess is fine. Which I guess is fine. Yeah, he can't shoot. He can't shoot worth anything outside the free throw line, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, moving from there, let's go Clippers Nuggets. Uh, Clippers going three two uh, right now against this team, failing to close it out to get to to punch their ticket in in for the first time in franchise history to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, but man, this team just allowing the Denver Nuggets to make some knucklehead plays and some lucky threes <laughs> to go in. 
and take this win away. Uh, I mean, this Denver Nuggets did come back 3-1, come back from a 3-1 deficit to Utah. The Clippers aren't the Utah Jazz. I mean, this is a fully loaded squad, so I do think that they're going to close this out pretty soon. So uh, Jamal Murray, not the Jamal Murray against Utah. Joe Kick is... Jokic has just had a horrible Joe year. Is, like, he's been playing really well this series, though. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know, man. He, he's just been getting bullied around by Montres Harrell on the defensive end, by Zubak. Like, Zubak has been playing more minutes than <laughs> I've ever thought I'd see him play in the playoffs. And he's, doing, he's making some noise in there. Yeah, I feel like you're giving us a little too much credit on Jokic. I mean, he's averaging 24-11-5, which... I mean, what are you going to do against those numbers? Like, are you going to say that that's us containing him? Because <laughs> it doesn't seem like it to me. It seems like we're letting him do what he wants and just putting a body on him and making him work for it. He's still getting it, but we're, what we're really doing is shutting down Jamal Murray. Yeah. Um, because if, if Jokic is the only guy scoring on that team, then we're going to be totally fine. Because in this series, when Murray scores over 20, Denver's won. If we hold him under 20, we've easily beat them. Um, so if we can just maintain that sort of defense on him, and we, we've done a really good job on him. His shooting percentage has been really poor. But if he is able to get his shots up and, and get his points, um, it does get us in a little bit of trouble. And I don't. I want to say that we're a lot better than Utah, but, man, you know, the, when you got a team that's hungry, their back's against the wall, this is a team now that we've said has no playoff experience for like the last two years. And they've been bounced from the playoff two years. Like they have playoff experience now, um, and these these guys are are tired of watching like other teams like the Warriors and Clippers, all these L.A. and, and San Francisco teams getting all the credit. Like they they want theirs at this point, and uh, they're they're very hungry. And I mean, I don't know. We we just have to stop focusing on playing the Lakers in the conference finals. We have to focus on knocking this team out in Game Six. Because, God, if this goes to Game 7, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, I talk, I feel like I've only spoken badly about the Nuggets. But at the end of the day, they are a talented team. Like, they are a team full of rising stars and Joe Kick Murray, you know, Gary Harris, Michael Porter Jr. And they have a solid vet and Paul Millsap down low as well. And Mason Plumley off the bench. And they have a, they have good pieces on this team. This should be a better team than what we've seen this series thus far, other than, you know, this game, this game four win. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if the Clippers, yeah, I would be a little worried and kicking myself or letting this go to another game because it just takes this team, you know, cleaning up some of those mistakes that they make fouling early into the shot clock, uh, lousy turnovers. And I'm not sure what Mike Malone is thinking sometimes going one-on-one all the time with Jamal Murray. Like it worked really well in the Utah jazz series, but the Clippers are defending Jamal Murray so freaking well, and he's not making yeah. it really hard for them either. You just go Kawhi Leonard on him, Paul George, and force him into the double team and force him to make bad mistakes or put up a, a terrible shot at 10, which is what he's been doing a lot of against this Clipper team. So Mike Malone's got to do some adjustments and give him some help. And I know Michael Porter Jr. had that quote after to the end of Game Three. <laughs> uh, quite a ballsy quote to say, and I don't like it. But I guess there there might be some truth to it. Is and and yeah. the truth is that is this team does feel like it gets a little lazy in that it worked for them in Utah and it worked for them in the regular season, but it's not going to work against a defensive minded team like the Clippers with the Montrezl Harrell, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and all these versatile wings on the. Um, in the game, like Dave, Michael Malone, Mike Malone's got to figure something out to help Jamal Murray out a little bit, bring out, get some help to Joe Kick, uh, to get more scoring points from this team. But again, I think they have the pieces to make some interest to make the games interesting. Uh, but with that said, I think it's also just a little too late. I think they could have put together something better in Game Two and Game Three. Uh, I mean, they're forcing this to a Game Six now but I think it's a little too late. Clippers should win this game six. Yeah, we should. And we have Kawhi, which is the only thing that really gives me confidence at this point. It's like Kawhi knows what needs to be done, and he's going to make sure it gets done in a similar way to where LeBron James knows how to take care of business for the Lakers. 
But I don't know. We got a lot of hotheads on our team, man. Like they they have to they have to cool down and they got to focus in. They can't be thinking about the Lakers at all. Like we we have to focus purely on the Nuggets if we're going to get out of this series or they'll sneak up on you. I mean, they did it to Utah. I'm sure Utah was forward thinking too. Like, oh crap, how are we going to beat the Clippers now that Utah's out of the way? Mm-hmm. And then they lose three in a row to Denver. So yeah, we cannot fall into that same pit. And, and I mean, I think it's going to be a little tougher than we give it credit for. Cause I mean, our normal bench threat with Lou Williams, Montres Harrell, they are not the same players in this bubble that we're used to seeing in a normal NBA situation. I mean, Lou Williams is averaging under 10 points a game, and you thought Siakam's 9% from three was bad? Well, Lou Williams is 8% from three in this series, which is just absolutely atrocious. Uh, Even if you're not a basketball fan, I think you could decipher that that's a bad percentage. And even Montrez Harrell's only averaging 11.4 points per game, only averaging about 18 minutes per game, which... I think is mostly in part due to us playing Zubak more than we usually play him. But it also just tells me he's not as conditioned as we're used to seeing uh, because he got to the bubble super late. Um, he, he's still pretty early in his NBA action as far as things are concerned. I mean, it's only we've only played, gosh, I don't know, 12. This will be his 12th game played coming up. So he's still rustier than a lot of these guys who have at least 20 games under their belt at this point. So, I don't know. I mean, we don't have the bench threat that we're used to seeing. And if that's not there, then that just puts so much more load on Kawhi and Paul George to carry the scoring, which they can. But it does make it a lot harder to win these games. Yeah. So, are you worried about a game six, about potentially having to play a game seven against the Nuggets? I'm not super worried. I'm very confident that we'll win it, but... You got to come out and you got to hit them hard from the start. I mean, you got to play basically the same game you played today, but play a way better fourth quarter. That's what it came down to. Like it all came down to the fourth. Like we had them for a lot for most of this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just I think we saw the finish line and and we faltered a bit. So yeah, we just can't let that happen again. Yeah, or you can just wait until Michael Porter Jr. makes some silly mistake or Jamal Murray or <laughs> Jeremiah. Hey, Grant. I'll. I'll <laughs> Yeah, I'll let Jer- Jeremiah Grant shoot as much as he wants, man. They they can give him the ball as much as they want. <laughs> yeah. Well, moving on from there, let's go to the other L.A. team, Lakers-Rockets. Lakers are up 3-1 and looking to close this series tomorrow on Saturday uh, in the in the game, game five. So this one is interesting, and I am so happy to see this, see the Lakers up 3-1. What I'm even most happy about is, is like when you look at the series as a whole, the Rockets are playing their game. They are shooting over 40% <laughs> in all three of those losses. They're oh, averaging man. 40% from three in this series. And when you break it down, when this team is shooting over 38% in the game from three, they're winning it. There, There's very little times that they actually lose. Uh, but against the Lakers, they are hitting a wall and they are losing. So you <laughs> you look at you look at the box score. It's interesting. They're winning the, the three point shooting contest, winning free throws. Uh, but the one thing that they're not winning is the rebounds. And for a long time, it seemed like that wasn't going to be such a big deal. However, when you really look at it as holistically throughout the series, the Lakers are plus ten on boards per per game against this Rockets team. So that's resulted in plus thirty five more field goal attempts in the series as a whole, plus 23 just in game four alone. So, yeah, the Rockets are nailing down threes, but the Lakers are getting way easier shots in transition, on the fast break, off their turnovers, and inside. They are just dominating the game inside with LeBron James uh, and Anthony Davis, which is something, you know, we knew that was going to be the pull there was the Rockets threes versus the Lakers uh, big men just scoring and opening the paint up and, and scoring closer inside and the possession count is leaning to the Lakers. And as a result, you know, they're winning, they're winning this series. They're 50% from the field for the reason, because they they're getting easier shots at the basket. They're playing sharp and strong defense. They're forcing this Rockets team into turnovers and they're forcing them off the line. Yeah. They're shooting efficiently, but they're not shooting the volume that they're used to shooting either i mean it's a team that averaged 47 three-point attempts in the se- in the season this series they're only averaging 38 uh and 
and they and that's and that number 38 attempts is pulled from the 53 attempts in game two because when you look at the other games they didn't even hit 35 three-point shooting attempts so this Rockets wow. team is just getting their whole strategy flipped on its head thanks to the Lakers just awesome team defense I've just they're so sharp the rotations are on point and everybody across this roster is just versatile outside of JaVel McGee and Dwight Howard, which, interesting <laughs> enough, we're not seeing them in this series at all. So we're seeing Caruso, mm-hmm. KCP, Rondo, Kuzma, LeBron, Davis, versatile defensive pieces just rotating over and making life difficult for this Rockets team. And got to say, I love it, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't see any reason you couldn't. I mean... I think the most encouraging thing I saw was that the Lakers are willing to and able to adapt to what their opponent can do. Uh, the, ga- the the first three games, admittedly, were very close. Obviously, the Rockets won one of them, mm-hmm. and the Lakers had to fight to win those other two. So in game four, it's like you're up 2-1. Things are going well. What do you do? You make them even better by adjusting your starting lineup to not include... Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee in the game at all. You, you put Anthony Davis to the five, even though he whines about how he doesn't like it. It's like, dude, this that was why they had 23 extra field goal attempts in game four is because they could keep up with the speed of the Rockets while also outsizing them at every position still. And it was just the perfect adaptation to the Rockets game. And it made the Lakers virtually invincible uh, to the Rockets in Game Four, and I imagine Game Five won't be very different uh, because the Rockets don't have any adaptation. Mm-mm. It's like they have to go small, and that's it. They're not going to play any centers. They're not going to try to change their game. They're so committed to this. It's like if it doesn't work, well, oh well, we suck. <laughs> like that—that's what it's come down to. And the the Lakers role players, like you said, are stepping up. We even got a a Talon Horton Tucker appearance <laughs> in Game Four. It was like. Man, that guy got so much screen time in that seven minutes that he played. Everyone was so impressed that he's not a vegetable, like that he can actually play basketball. And, and he actually did contribute pretty well. And, and yeah, I got Markeith Morris playing really good. Uh, Rondo, playoff Rondo playoff is here. Rondo is and real. man, he almost he almost got a triple-double in the last two games. I was, in the first few games where he came back, I was like, why is Rondo playing? <laughs> this is ridiculous. This guy just came back, but he adapted so much faster than I think anyone was ready for. Uh, and he's just been great. And obviously Caruso being a, uh, a hero in game four as well, just continuing to, to push the dagger even further into the Rockets with that big 16 points, two big threes in those couple big steals towards the end of the game to seal it for him. Even getting the post-game interview <laughs> afterwards, uh, which that was, that was a really funny moment too, where, uh, people were commenting. It looks like the my player in 2K, where where the stars <laughs> of the team are waiting for you, yeah, to finish your post game interview before going in the locker room. Totally, totally, yeah. And I mean, the way I picture this is like this: this matchup was a chess match. Was almost a chess match. It was a game of tactics, really. Uh, well, I mean, there's obviously it's still a game of basketball. There's a ton of effort, and the Lakers have been putting that in into their rotations, moving quick not you know just staying sharp throughout the whole game but really part of it was tactically and the way i look at it is almost like a rubik's cube where you know the first couple of times it's hard to figure it out but once you figure it out then it's like not really a matter of like if whether or not you're going to figure it out but just how how quick it is until you finish that and solve that rubik's cube and that's where i think the lakers are against the rockets i think they basically have them figured out and it, it does no favor to the Rockets that they did go all in on this style of play. Like they literally have traded, built the roster and traded away pieces to only be this. Like, I mean, their second option mm-hmm. is bringing Tyson Chandler off the bench. That's, that's not happening. That's definitely not happening. No. And I think it shows really the advantage of like when you're in the playoffs, it's like the best thing to actually do is to try to have adaptable pieces on your roster teams, players that are decent and can, and can adapt and, and you can move around and maneuver. And that Marcus market Marcus Morris signing now shows how valuable that was and bringing another guy onto the roster that, you know, he's not elite in anything, but he's still pretty good. And we can maneuver him yeah. around and put him at the four and get boards while also knocking down a couple threes occasionally helping us run our offense, especially in a series against a team like the Rockets. Will he play against the Clippers? 
I don't know. Maybe Dwight Howard is actually that more important piece that we have, but at least we have the choice on the roster to do it. And I think that's like the mm-hmm. important piece here. So again, I think Rapalenka deserves a lot of credit. Frank Vogel as well. Um, and we figured out this Rockets team and we figured out that Blazers team, all those who doubted us, but here we are and playoff Rondo has arrived. But it's been very, very identical series. Uh, losing the first game just to scout some information and then and just plowing through in the rest of the games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then just one final point is in terms of the Lakers' big three, who's number three? Kyle Kuzma's not number three. Our role players are Heck number no. three. It's, it's everybody. Marcus Morris, four for four from three in game two. Uh, Kyle Kuzma also Ooh. seven for eight. Big defensive plays in that game. And then game three, I think that's going to be the infamous Rajon Rondo game. Eight for mm-hmm. 11, three for five from three. Uh, just making great reads and defensive plays. And game four, this is the Caruso truly coming out party, I think. Playing 30 minutes. That whole game, 16 points Dang. in those two big threes. You know, a couple big steals down the stretch when the Rockets try to make that comeback. So I think the Lakers are, their strength is their versatile pieces, I think, and that they have guys that can step up and be that number three. It doesn't just have to be a Kyle Kuzma or a Rondo or anybody else. Yeah, and I think that's what you want to see. And I think that's what the Clippers' success has been so well established on this year is having a guy that's number three that you're not sure who it's going to be. I mean, this year, Lou Williams or Montrezl Harrell was our number three, or maybe even throw Shaman in there. So these teams are very well-constructed. Um, the Lakers, are we're finally seeing that. I think I think there was a little more question marks with the Lakers bench players uh, throughout the season, but they're stepping up now when it matters most. So it, it is really cool to see. Um what do you give the Lakers chances of losing game six? Do you even think that's a possibility? No, they're winning game six. There's no way. They're winning. There's just no <laughs> I way. I mean, sorry, game five, oh, game, game five. five. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're closing this out. Uh, the Rockets yeah. don't stand a chance. No, this, no chance. The spirit is broken. The spirit is broken. Once <laughs> that's broken, the body will follow. <laughs> yeah, we need. Uh, yeah, I need the Nuggets to have a, a player have brought a woman into their hotel room to to replicate the effect that the Rockets have right now. So yeah, we can we can escape that series. Yeah, uh, without any damage. But yeah, I mean, I, I have to agree with you. I don't think the Lakers are losing tomorrow for sure. Yeah. Then next time we can talk about conference preview in the West. Gosh, I hope so. Yeah. Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> Before that, let's break down the East. What's coming down in the East is Celtics versus Heat. Uh, you know, season series, the Heat's won one, the Celtics won twice. Uh, I wouldn't really take that too much into account, but I guess it's something to measure. Gordon Hayward, he potentially could be back in this mm. series. He's already shooting. He's in the bubble. Uh, he's moving around, nice. but still no official update. But I'm going to guess that these are good signs that he could potentially be playing in in this series. But this is an interesting one. I mean, we got a lot of firepower versus great wing def- defensive wings. Uh, we got Bam at a bio, really, I think, in my eyes, being the X factor here. Uh, for the Miami Heat, in terms of, like, the Boston Celtics don't really have a strong big to go up against him, but can Bam at a bio be, you know, an offensive weapon for the Miami Heat to really uh, exploit the, the biggest weakness that the Boston Celtics have at this point? But I don't know. You got Marcus Smart playing, like, a, a younger, more skilled P.J. Tucker. I would just find Mar- Marcus Smart as everything Patrick Beverly wishes that he was. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I-, I digress. But yeah, Marcus Smart's been playing great. It-, it will be really cool to see Gordon Hayward play in this series at some point. Although it would be interesting to also see what type of role he even has when he comes back. Because he hasn't played basketball in like four weeks. Um, so right, it's going to be tough to reintegrate him back in the- this lineup that's been playing so well. I feel like you still have to start Marcus Smart in there because I think he can definitely bully the crap out of Tyler Harrow on the other side. I mean, th- this rookie's been lighting it up for Miami, and I think Marcus Smart is the perfect guy to stop his r- momentum. And having Hayward come off the bench as a little spark, I think, is going to be the best way for the Celtics to enter this if he does have a chance to come back and play. Yeah, I agree. And one of the big questions, of course, is going to be, can the Boston Celtics stop the firepower from Miami the team is shooting 33, 8% from three Celtics are shooting 35 Miami. Heat 112 points per game. The Celtics are one Oh nine. So really Miami, Heat being the more offensively geared team. So 
I mean, Jimmy Butler is going to do his thing for the Boston Celtics is running off all these shooters from, from the three-point line and forcing them inside uh, really where they can you know defend them a lot better. So that, that'll be the big question here for the Boston Celtics. And for the Miami Heat on their side is how do they match up against the long wings of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? Can they stop these two guys uh, you know, from really killing them in terms of like their defensive from their defensive side, like their wings aren't quite as strong as what the Celtics have, but they do have Bam Adebayo at the rim. So, I mean, there's like all these different tactics that can cancel one each other out. So this is going to be an interesting series. And I think it's going to be a little bit more black, uh, a bit more of a bloodbath, I think. And I could see this <laughs> going to seven games. Um, and just in terms of just because it looks like there's there's a lot of things that each team can do to counter each other. And there is no clear, I think, one single advantage other than the Bam at a bio advantage on the Miami Heat side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you think it's going to seven, who's winning it in seven? I'm going Celtics. I think this team Ooh, is ready to Celtics. make that next move. I think at the end of the day, Miami Heat relies so much on the firepower from three of Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson. I think... The Celtics on the other end, though, seem to have more consistent offensive weapons. Kimball Walker, Tatum, and Brown. Mm-hmm. I like those wings. And these guys have been here, and they've been crushed and lost already in a Game 7 against LeBron James. There is no LeBron James on the other side <laughs> this time. So I think they're ready to, to make their redemption journey and actually make it all the way to the finals this time. Yeah, I'm going to say Celtics in 6. I think... Giving the Heat a slight advantage, obviously, because they have a little more rest. But I think the Celtics are so young, it doesn't matter. Um, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are super young. And Kemba Walker's amped up. This is his first conference finals ever. This has been his first every playoff round ever. So it's really exciting for him. Bam definitely does present a threat for the Heat. But I think it's ultimately going to come down to Jason Tatum versus Jimmy Butler, which mm-hmm. is going to be a very fascinating matchup to watch because I'm not sure if Jason Tatum's going to guard Jimmy Butler, but Jimmy Butler's going to guard the hell out of Jason Tatum. And it is going to be a treat to watch, um, to watch this savvy veteran go up against this up and coming superstar and see if he can stop him and uh, say like, not, not this year, young buck, not this year, but I do think outside of that, the Celtics do have more to go to, um, on the defensive end uh, to defend the three-point shot well um, in a similar way that they they basically shut Fred Van Vliet out of that series and that's a man that relies on the three a lot uh, you didn't really see a ton of great three-point shooting outside of some Norman Powell heroics in that uh, double overtime game Kyle Lowry getting up a few big ones when when their backs were against the wall but for the most part the, the Celtics defense looked dominant and held the Raptors to under 100 points or less for five of those seven games. And I feel like the Heat are going to find themselves in a similar situation. So I'm going to give the edge to the Celtics as well. Um, I think they could definitely do it in six, and if not, definitely in seven. Yeah. Well, let's not forget Kemba Walker. Yes, he hasn't had much playoff success, but this man is a NCAA champion. Let's not forget that. When they oh, those Husky. days are long gone, man. <laughs> that was like 10 years if ago. If it means anything. <laughs> if it means anything, but... I think Kem Kemble, I think the these weapons are so much more consistent and I think uh mm-hmm. I mean I just like the odds of this team so I'm excited bring on Boston versus LA in the finals and now it's just then it'll just be a question <laughs> of which LA team yes but I'm excited for this conference finals to get started and you know to close mm-hmm. off the podcast so we'll swing it back to the Lakers and an official apology to Rondo from my side and I think from all <laughs> Lakers Playoff Rondo is a real thing. This man came out and did some duds and really frustrated the crap out of every Laker fan in game one against the Rockets. But game two and notably game three and even game four a little bit were all his show and his hands were everywhere on the defensive side, offensive end. And I got to think also in the locker room and on the bench because people love him. And Anthony Davis's quote here I think seals the deal here is, Playoff Rondo is not the equivalent of Santa Claus. He is real. He does show up. (laughs) Playoff Rondo is real, Davis said. His intensity picks up. He wants to guard the best perimeter guy. He wants to facilitate on the floor. He's shooting the ball very well, making the right passes. 
And we've got the two best IQ guys in the game with him and LeBron on the floor at the same time. And it's real as ever with Rondo and LeBron on the floor at the same time. It's the best lineup the Lakers have put out there against this Houston Rockets team. So onwards, but at least we got a new weapon on the Lakers team and that's playoff Rondo. Yeah, who, who would have thought this guy would come out of nowhere and have these monstrous performances for this team? But I got to give him credit. I, he fought hard to get back from that injury. He's playing like he, he really wants this title. And, and the Lakers are, are in a very good spot right now because of him. So, yeah, but let's let's keep this train rolling, man. We got to get we got to get this L.A. Matchup, man. I swear, if the Clippers if the Clippers ruin this and then and then we don't get an LA versus LA series, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be upset forever. <laughs> same here, same here. It's gotta happen, man. It's gotta happen. Well, thanks. God, the Nuggets. Can you imagine if the Nuggets made it? Oh, they're so lame. Adam Silver will be losing it as well. I gotta think Adam Silver will not be very happy. But anyways, we still got one more, couple more games left and before we get to that western conference final there but thanks everybody for tuning in don't forget to subscribe and tune in week week in and week out here on the second stringers nba podcast thanks everybody sir have a good week everybody